covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Another week's worth of Brewers talk, and we got a lot to get into this week as the tender deadline was this past week, and the Brewers certainly made some interesting decisions. We didn't really know what it was going to look like. Now we do know what it looked like, and uh, we'll get into all that. In fact, our guest this week is Will Salmon from The Athletic. He'll break down some of the decisions uh, that were made by the Brewers as well, uh, and uh, that's all going to be coming up. Before we go any further, you know what we do here, our housekeeping items. If you want to get in contact with me, on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can subscribe and also leave a ranking and review, that would be awesome, and I would very much appreciate it. All right, so the Brewers made a number of moves. The biggest move, just in terms of the move that got the most amount of attention, was the trade of Corey Knable. Now, it looked like Knebel, in all likelihood, was going to be non-tendered. He ends up getting traded to the Dodgers instead for the player to be named or cash considerations. And we'll see if anything really uh, comes of that moving forward. For me, this just proved something that I, I thought I already knew, but now I really know it. Especially this offseason. I think what I'm about to say, to a, to a certain extent, is always true with the Brewers, but for me, this it's even more true this offseason when payroll's going to be going down. I think we can all, uh, th- nobody's hiding it. Payroll's going to go down this year, and that's just that's the way things are, are, are going to be. Taking a gamble on somebody who is considered somewhat of a big-ticket item isn't going to happen with this team. And Knable would have made around $5 million or so. And we, we can argue whether or not that is actually the definition of a, of a big-ticket item, and I understand the idea that it's not. But in, in this year, that's a significant amount of money for, for a player to make. And if you're going to pay somebody that, that amount of money, you have to almost have a guarantee, as much of a guarantee as you can have. And look, anybody can have a, a bad season. Christian Yelich did not play very well this past season, especially from a hitting standpoint. So there, nothing is truly guaranteed. But there were still question marks about Knable coming off the Tommy John surgery. Now, I personally, I think he's going to bounce back, and I think he's going to have a pretty good year. You, historically, players coming off Tommy John – that first year back is eh. And then it's that next year back where they start to round back into form. That's not always true. Uh, I think we can look at, at a Brent Suter and see what he was able to do immediately coming off Tommy John. But that's that's not the rule. That's the exception. Generally, guys are only eh at the beginning. And even more so with Knable, where he was not, if the season would have been a normal 162-game season, he would not have started the year on the big league roster. He would have gone and had that more standard minor league rehab, and he never got that opportunity to do that. So then all of a sudden they're trying to use him in in major league games there at the beginning of his comeback, and it, it wasn't especially good at the beginning. It looked better at the end. I think Corey Knable is going to be a really good major leaguer again. 
I think is he going to get back to All Star form? I don't know. Nobody. I'm not a fortune teller, right? But um, I think he's going to be really good again. And unfortunately, the Brewers are in a spot where a the back end of the bullpen is kind of stacked when you consider uh, Josh Hader and Devin Williams. And there's just not that guarantee, and I don't think they're they're in a place right now where they want to take a $5 million gamble. Maybe where they're at from a financial standpoint, it wasn't even about the gamble. Maybe it was just that they didn't view $5 million towards a, another back end of the bullpen reliever as a place where they wanted to allocate that money. Whatever it, whatever it was, uh, to me, it just continues to prove what this season is going to uh, look like from a financial standpoint. The other big thing was the fact that they agreed to these one-year deals with a number of players. Uh, A couple players even took pay cuts. Uh, Orlando Arcia, he went down $200,000 to a uh, $2 million contract. Omar Nervaez, he went down uh, $200,000 or so to $2.5 million based off what their full salary would have been in 2020 had they not played a shortened season. This was a year just because of the finances in baseball where the feeling was there were going to be a ton of non-tenders. Now, it actually didn't work out that way. There, the non-tenders were not as high of a number as a lot of us were expecting, but the reason why is there were a lot more of these one-year contracts where guys gave up some, some salary concessions, and it happened across Major League Baseball, and it happened with the Brewers. Uh, and to me, it makes sense because – you don't want to be a free agent this year. You just don't. And it's better to probably have a contract in late November, early December, where you've got a little bit of money coming in than be a free agent. And all of a sudden, it might be March. It might be April, and you're still out there, and you're going to sign for whatever you can get. So agents and players alike, I think, just knew what the market was going to be. And if there was an offer and it was considered at all respectable, at all legitimate, if you didn't have close to a 100% guarantee that you would make more money by going out on the free agent market, you're going to sign that deal and try again next year. And that's what happened with Narvaez, and that's what happened with Orlando Arcia. As far as the non-tenders, we'll see if any of those guys end up back in the organization in uh, Alex Claudio, uh, Ben Gamble, and also Jace Peterson. Sometimes you know, a guy like Ben Gamble, uh, maybe he does want to see what's out there and uh, has ha- had avoided arbitration previously, wants to go see what's out there. Maybe he does come back. I don't know how that's going to work out. And then, of course, we'll continue to watch what's going to go on with uh, Brandon Woodruff and Josh Hader, whether or not either of those players are going to be able to avoid arbitration and uh, come to some sort of a deal on a contract. I bet Woodruff does, and I'm not so sure about Josh Hader. If I had to make a, a prediction about that, I would just I, w- I would bet somehow they find a way to get the deal done with uh, Brandon Woodruff and with Hader. I just wonder whether or not that is going to end up uh, in arbitration. I think that is certainly a possibility that the two sides could end up there. All right, uh, as mentioned, this week our featured conversation is with Will Salmon from The Athletic, so let's get uh, right to that. Uh, of course, uh, hope that you subscribe to The Athletic. They do great, great work, uh, both from a brewer standpoint with Will and everything they do from a national baseball standpoint as well but we do welcome will salmon back on to the podcast will really uh, appreciate you taking a little bit of time glad to uh, have you back on the podcast how are you hey man thanks for having me on man always enjoy talking with you and love the show so happy to be back on with you yeah let's um 
the off season is always a little bit different for people who cover baseball. Uh, so many different kind of mileposts. Uh, but this year, again, I know we've talked so much about the pandemic and everything going on. What is it like for you where still the off season continues on, but everything is still kind of uh, detached and virtual and that sort of thing? Yeah, those, those are definitely the right words for it because in, I guess, a regular year, in a regular off season, me and the other folks who cover the team on a day-to-day basis and who cover baseball on a day-to-day basis, cover their respective teams in their respective cities, would pretty much be in Dallas for the uh, winter meetings. And now those are held virtually without um, the throng of reporters <laughs> you know, following executives around. And so that's, uh, that's disappointing, although nowadays, uh, whether or not there's actual news coming out of this week, this upcoming week, um, is up for debate or we'll find out. It's not as certain as it was years ago where it was um, a constant thing day after day. There are some years where it's, of course, I think it was a couple of years ago where there were like three or four major um, signings or transactions. And of course, the Brewers made a couple of um, acquisitions last year around this time with Josh Lindblom and I believe it was Brett Anderson as well, who they, who they had inked around this time period. So um, it could it could be sort of hit or miss, and we don't really know what to expect uh, with it being virtual. Although I will say that it can't get much slower than it already has been. Yeah. It feels like, right? So hopefully things perk up a little bit. But I think the words that you used were correct because it has been a little bit, you know, detached in some ways, just because you're just not you're not there. You're not meeting with people. You're you're connected via phone, which is great. Um, it's awesome that we have that technology, of course, to check in with people and to catch catch up and see what's going on. But you're a little bit limited with the interaction that you have at times, and that's unfortunate. People who know your story, and we've had you on this podcast before and had you on the WTMJ before and talked about your background. And You were covering college sports, but you, you wanted to cover – Major League Baseball, and I know things are going to get better. Hopefully, just, we're, hopefully we're less than a year away. We're months away from things in this country looking normal. Who knows if that's the case or not? But uh, while I'm sure you're 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 grateful and blessed and happy that you're able to do what you do, has it been somewhat disappointing that you finally got the opportunity to uh, cover Major League Baseball? And once the games got started, it was so different. And somebody who covers baseball, the off season is such a big part of it. The hot stove stuff is, is a really big part of, of the Major League Baseball beat. Is there an aspect of it or a big part of it that's disappointing for you that you, you finally got to the point of covering Major League Baseball like you wanted to do, and here you are in your first year of doing it, and you're not quite yet really doing it the way it's been done in the past? Yeah, sure, totally. I think that the regular season, there were points of the regular season where I felt like, hey, this wasn't exactly what I had in mind here and it's not I wasn't having the most fun of my journalism career but you know I don't think really anybody who was covering baseball really whole had that much fun because you're not going on the road and you're not sort of enjoying the day-to-day grind of it where you show up to the ballpark a couple of hours early check in with guys and go make your rounds and, and learn something different I feel like that's what I kind of missed the most is just the ability to like go a little bit deeper and just learn things I didn't know. And because I feel like the Brewers did a phenomenal job with having players and Craig council and 
even pitching coach Chris Hook and hitting instructor Andy Ainge, for that matter, appear on Zooms pretty frequently. Obviously, we had great counsel every day, just as we would in the regular season. Um, and players before and after games, it was every day as well. I mean, and they did a really good job with that. But I think some of the players, I don't want to say they were sort of uncomfortable with it, um, but there's sort of a little bit of a disconnect with some guys. And I feel like that's only natural when you're asking somebody to look at a screen and see, you know, eight faces in boxes and try to have a substantial sort of conversation. It's not always going to work out that way. I mean, people just are different and some are going to um, be totally cool with it and don't miss a beat. And there are other guys who just, you know, you just, for whatever reason, that's their personality where it's just better one-on-one. And we didn't have that uh, this year. And so I feel like there's a, deeper stories that probably were sort of missed or lost that we'll just really never know about, unfortunately. And it's kind of weird to say that in the season that the Brewers had because it, there were a lot of ups and downs and it, it was a really interesting season. Um, and so on the other hand, you know, I feel really grateful of the fact that, yes, it was bizarre, but at the same time, I mean, I guess I'd have known otherwise perhaps in like a regular season. I mean, I've seen, I, I have now listened and asked some questions about topics that uh, really were revealing to me. I mean, when we talk about the fact that the Brewers had the protest, uh, did, they did not play in the game against the Reds uh, that day after uh, uh, the, sh- the shooting in Kenosha. And so that was something where it was like, that was historic. I mean, and, and we, we had it not to that magnitude, of course, but, this whole season was pretty pretty historic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will certainly be remembered. And just to listen to him and to sort of get to know him um, based on just questions that you would have no business asking him otherwise, that I appreciated because I was able to learn something about him that I otherwise would have taken a lot longer for me to, to understand perhaps about his way of thinking on things. And so it is what it is where it is and, and it kind of depends on how you look at it and sometimes that changes by the day um for, i freely admit that and not all days were easy during the regular season um but it was still baseball you know i was, I was happy to go to all the games at, at miller park uh, to not go on the road uh but it was still you know here we were in like what may and april wondering if those days would happen and they did and like you suggested that uh, hopefully it gets better, right? Yeah, so hopefully. we had that to look forward to. The tender deadline this past week, and there was a bunch of decisions made, but the most high-profile one was the decision to uh, trade Corey Knable. It looked like he was en route to being non-tendered if he was not going to get traded. It feels like the back of the bullpen is a position of strength with Devin Williams and Josh Hader. It also feels like uh, this is a year where with payroll going down, the, the, the risks and the gambles you can't have as much of. You got Anybody who has any type of a, a price tag next to their name, you, you pretty much have to hit on and get good production out of, and there's still a little bit of a, que- a question on Knable. Do you, do you agree that those are probably kind of the things that led to the, the Brewers' decision to move on from Knable? Oh, no doubt. From my mind, it was strictly financial, and the idea that it was what's like five million and change, basically, and that was the highest one. That was basically the highest decision that they had to make, and the highest price tag on the guys that they had to make decisions on by far, um, probably double, I guess, considering us. Of course, that Omar Narvaez and Orlando Arcee's pay cut 
um, combine their salaries, it's like less than Corey Knable yeah. to put that in perspective, right? So, and we're talking about uh, a guy who wasn't all that good coming off of Tommy uh, Tom's surgery in his first year back, and that's really not a, his. Um, it's not an indictment on him. I mean, he had really no sort of traditional rehab whatsoever. I mean, it was not against my league hitters. It was abbreviated. It was weird. And he was basically getting kinks out against major league hitters in games that mattered. And that's not really fair. To his credit, uh, he persevered, came back, and I, I thought he looked really sharp at times late in the season. And if I were to bet on him for next year, I think he's going to be uh, pretty good. I think he's going to bounce back. And um, I think he's had a nice year for the Dodgers or whoever else he ends up playing for, if it's not for them. But that's not my money, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's easy for me to say that when I'm not one penny, the guy, I suppose. Um, so from the Brewers' perspective, there was just no chance when you look at their uh, payroll that they were going to decide to do that, um, which is unfortunate because, like I said, I, I do think she'll bounce back and have a nice season. Um, but like you said, Matt, with their bullpen, I feel like if it's one area they can afford to, to make that sort of decision on, it is that area because not only do they have Devin Williams and Josh Hader at the back end, and you could salivate as a Brewers fan about the idea of a healthy Corey Knable along with those two guys, but even without Knable, do you still have guys coming back who, who really um, raised some eyebrows in some good ways last year. Uh, Eric Yardley led the team in appearances, did fairly well um, as, a right, as a right-handed side armor. And Justin Topa, I think he had, what, 12 or 13 strikeouts in about eight innings, no walks. And um, you know, he really caught fire in, in September, and he's a guy that looks like a keeper. So, you know, he'll get a shot. Uh, there are other guys there, J.P. Vireisen, um, a few other names um, that are eluding me at the moment. But um, I like their, like their bullpen. Um, and it's one of the better bullpens in the National League. I mean, I haven't even brought up, you know, Bruce, uh, Brent Suter and uh, Freddie Peralta, for that matter depending on what their roles will be and whatnot, like always. But it's a deep bullpen with um, a variety of stuff and and uh, arm slots and everything else. Um, so they can afford it. Uh, they can afford the loss, but they just really can't, couldn't afford to uh, sign him at that price tag that he was commanding. And so he was most likely going to be non-tendered, of course. And so from his perspective, to land for Dodgers, I mean, it seems pretty cool. I mean, good for, good for him, right? I hope he bounces back and, I think Brewers fans will certainly wish him well uh, based on his career in Milwaukee. A lot of us thought going into the tender deadline that there were going to be just a ton of non-tenders and that the market was going to be flush with free agents. It didn't play out that way. Instead, it played out where uh, players and agents felt that way as well. So instead of risking being part of a, a really big pool of free agents, there were a lot of one-year deal signed, and, and you mentioned Omar Nevarez. Uh, you also had an Orlando Arcia. Guy, guys taking pay cuts this year just to have contracts. Were you at all surprised with how that played out, uh, or is that what you were expecting? No, I was kind of hearing about that early in the day, that that was um, a pretty strong possibility with a few, few of the Brewers. Um, pretty much, the, I think it was four guys that ended up happening, happening with that they were trying to work out deals with, and I said to myself, okay, that makes sense. It really does because I could have seen a couple of those guys coming back for like right around what uh, places such as MLB trade rumors and whoever else does the projections on arbitration uh, salaries and what to expect from those figures. I could have seen a couple of those guys sure um, come back and and get and get that amount of money, but 
was it certainties? No. I mean, we had, you know, everybody had been talking about guys like Omar Narvaez and that being sort of up in the air and something that David Stern even revealed that they had to really think about that one. Um, and they had to really analyze it. And of course they, uh, came to the idea that this was an anomalous season and he has a great track, track record and he should be better. Um, so they'll roll the dice with that and hope for the best and, uh, based their decision on that logic, which I can't really fault them for, especially at that price. But you know, I feel like it made sense for players and teams, especially in this climate, to do those type of deals. Um, whether it's a trend or not, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it could be because it makes sense, uh, depending on people's circumstances, of course. It's really not a bad thing for either side. Um, it's, it's a pretty good thing, I think. Instead of going, to, uh, going into it, um, not sure of what the result is going to be or going through the process of the arbitration process itself, which is something that really neither side likes a whole lot to do anyway. So um, it could, it could end up being a trend, but it was, it was a better thing to see because it made sense for both parties and you didn't want to see a bunch of guys lose their jobs, um, especially heading into this sort of winter where it's been slow to develop and we don't know what the uh, financials are going to look like. The Brewers now have six catchers on the 40-man roster. I, I would be pretty surprised if there's still six there when opening day rolls around, but I guess crazier things can happen. What's your expectation as the offseason continue, uh, continues on, even in spring training, as they look at that position group? Yeah, a couple of things could happen. Um, you know, I think that clearly they, uh, like I said before, are – pretty much expecting, not even hoping, but you know, I feel like they're expecting a bounce back from Omar Narvaez based on his track record. We're talking about a guy who was one of the better hitting catchers and just honestly one of the more consistent hitting catchers too uh, for the last couple of years before last season. And the fact that he improved defensively, you know, maybe um, he becomes even more well-rounded in 2021. I mean, that would be uh, quite a turnaround for him. Um, and then you bring back Kenya, assuming he's um, healthy and everything's good after the surgery. Um, yeah, I feel like they have every right to enter the season it's kind of the same way they did heading into 2020 with both those guys and you know uh, the additions that they made to the 40-man roster um, it does leave room for some flexibility where we could see a couple of things I think Jacob Nottingham is a, is a pretty good young catcher where he could maybe command something on the trade market if they were interested um, he has shown pop and, and uh, limited action. He showed that when Manny Pena went down, he was able to get some balls out of the yard and pretty good defensively, we noticed that as well, of course, right? I mean, he handles pitching staff really well. And although that's um, partially attributed to the fact that, yes, he's worked with a lot of these Brewers pitchers for a while, dating back to the minor leagues. I'm sure that could um, relate to another staff as well once he gets established and um, comfortable there if they were to trade him. Because for me, uh, from my perspective, he's the one that probably commands the most attention in a, in a trade discussion. I'm not, you know, saying that that's going down per se, but just me spitballing ideas here. He's somebody that comes to mind as if I'm another team, he's the guy that I'm interested in. Um, so that they could do something like that. Uh, David Freitas is, is somebody who, you know, out of options, and so that's never a great thing when you're lower on the 40-man roster. Um, so he's somebody that is worth keeping an eye on to see what they do with him because, again, you're, like you mentioned, Matt, you're not going to go into a spring training with six of these guys 
Uh, you know, you're probably not going to get too far into the winter with six catchers on your 40-man roster. Uh, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, even though on a team like the Brewers, where you have you sign guys who play you know three or four positions. Still, I mean, you got you got some holes on this roster, and it's not very deep at the moment. So it's going to look a lot differently in a few weeks, I suppose. We know that payroll going down. That they have not hidden the fact that's probably going to be true across all of Major League Baseball, and that's that's maybe the one redeeming thing here. It's not like the Brewers are alone in that, but considering what we expect to see from them from a spending standpoint, do you feel like this team can improve themselves for this season, or is that going to be a challenge? Mm, uh, I'm going to give you a weak answer, both. <laughs> you know, I think they can do it, and it will be a challenge. Um, just because of, you know, what are the options here? Uh, the non-tender deadline probably helps them out a little bit just based on who is now available. Uh, that pool has widened and came a little bit deeper with your options there. Uh, Franco's the guy who comes to mind, third baseman, I believe he was last on the Royals, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was with the Phillies for a long time, passing power, inconsistent. Um, a guy that, you know, he, he, he's available, um, kind of fits. But you know, the Brewers have known have been known to surprise us, and they've been known to sort of do things non traditionally. And what I mean is, you know, maybe there's some position switches. Um, you know, you sign Arcia, you bring him back, and you also have Luis Urias as well. So, I mean, there's there's no guarantee that that one of them has to play um, shortstop, or the other one is on the bench. I mean, one can play third base. Maybe they. Uh, do something different with Keston here. I mean, they could do a bunch of different things on this roster still. And so they shouldn't limit themselves. And frankly, with David Stearns, they won't. Um, so, yeah, I think that they obviously, to, to point out the obvious, uh, first base and third base are the, are the um, holes on this roster. Um, and that even trickles down to the minor leagues where that's not even an option for you. There's nobody at the cusp of you know being called up that plays either of those positions um, that you are going to be excited about. So they have a lot of work to do there. But like I said, their creativity is something that they can pull from. And so that they're, they're not going to be married to the idea of this guy's playing this position. And I think that will be all the more true this winter. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything to say that this is going down. Here's why I think that, but I'm um, just looking at the options and, and just who presents which group of players present, like, say, their best nine or configuration of that on any given day, they may end up asking guys to play different spots. Who knows? Um, because, just my opinion, I'm a little bit underwhelmed uh, by the free agent market as it is, even though it's cheaper, like I said, because of the non-tender deadline. You have more guys, quality of the player. Um, nobody excites me all that much, um, who I feel are realistic targets for the Brewers. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, there, there are some names out there like uh, Rostella and um, other guys like that who um, definitely fit the mold that we're used to seeing the Brewers sign. But those guys are hot commodities for, for the for those very reasons for other teams. Yeah. And so you get into a bidding war, and I just don't think that's going well for Milwaukee. I get frustrated by a lot of stuff in baseball, and one of the things I get frustrated about is the fact that I think the rules for the next season should be set before free agency opens because you should know 
the type of roster you are building for for what what things are going to look like. And there are times where they go into spring training, you don't completely know the rules. You know, the, the year before they put in the three batter rule, they just they they discussed it to the eleventh hour, and then they eventually put it in. And this year, it, it's the designated hitter. We really don't know if the DH is going to be in the National League or not next year. How tough is that when you're the Brewers and you bring back a Daniel Vogel back, and it it, it certainly does not appear that they think much of him in terms of his defense so he would be somebody who would be a dh you mentioned keston here earlier he could be an option there as well but but you're in a place right now where you don't really know if that's going to be available to you or not yeah it's pretty lame <laughs> it really is um and you mentioned vocal back i mean i'm happy they brought him back because he was very productive for him and i think it was a good fit and i don't think it's just like coincidence that he that he ended up playing so well. I'm not saying he's going to bat 350 next year, but if, if he's around, I, I think it's a good spot for him working with Andy Haynes. I think they um, tapped into some things that were working for him previously in his career that he was able to uh, carry over day in, day out with the Brewers, and that helped him out. And what I mean is he was going to the opposite field a lot more. Uh, he wasn't really trying to hit home runs. They came to him instead, and he just was more comfortable. It was pretty obvious with his approach. You know, he wasn't really going up there hacking at the first thing. He was taking his time, seeing the ball well, getting on base. And so I feel like even if he's coming off the bench, uh, giving them a left-handed left-handed power bat off the bench, we talked about this with uh, Logan Morrison way back when. The team still didn't have that um, until they brought really both back into, in there because Logan Morrison didn't stick. A couple of other guys didn't stick. And so as the roster is currently constructed, and he's still a useful, useful guy if that's his role. Um, I'm not sure if the Brewers will keep him um, if that's his role, but if they choose to, it's, it's a spot that he could really do well in because they don't have somebody like that either. Um, obviously, it, it, it behooves him and it behooves the Brewers for the DH to be in the league if he's going to be on your roster because he's a great option for it, as we saw during last season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy they did it just because it's like it wasn't that much of a high investment. I know we're talking about um, every investment mattering here. I get that, but for what his upside could be, I thought it made sense. And, you know, I I don't know. I have nothing really, again, to uh, make this a firm opinion, but I just would be surprised if they got, if they said, no, we're not doing the DH. I don't know. I just feel like it's, one of those deals where it's dragging out because it's going to drag out major league baseball, but maybe it's just me hoping, but I, I do feel like it will happen where the DH will stay and, um, you know, they will be all the more better for it with, with him there. So I, with, with first base, I'm, I doubt that we'll see much of him there. Um, I don't think he's absolutely terrible there, but you don't want to have the right side of your infield being Daniel Vogel back at first base with his limited range, plus Aaron Kessin here has not proven that he could be all that consistent um, during a season at second base either. Um, so he's still a work in progress there. So the, the right side of your infield ball for a team that, for a pitching staff that generates a lot of ground balls, even without Brett Anderson, uh, that's not the best thing. So it would be important for them to get somebody or to sure up that side of the infield with somebody who uh, they can really count on at first base. I like National League Baseball. In a perfect world for me, it would stay that way, but it seems like 
the the general consensus is that the next collective bargaining agreement, the designated hitter is going to be in both leagues. It, it seems wacky to me that you would go no DH, DH, no DH, DH, like over the course of four years. Like, if it's going to be that way, I'm just go with it now, right? Yeah, you would hope so, but we've seen some wacky things and we've seen things that don't make sense. And I learned um, not everything is meant to be understood sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Um, Well, we encourage everybody who's listening to this to uh, subscribe to The Athletic as uh, uh, just in addition to to what you do covering the Brewers, it's it's hard, I would say impossible to find uh, a better group of national reporters covering uh, Major League Baseball as well. Are you, I don't want you to give away too much, but are you in the midst of uh, working on anything specific right now or is it more just about waiting and seeing what's happening? Yeah, it's more ear to the ground stuff just because it's um, the winter meetings week right now and you expect some sort of activity like you sort of hope <laughs> especially now considering how slow the off season has been so it's like you don't want to put yourself where you're working nonstop on these projects and all of a sudden hey here's you know three moves that now you have to cover and, which is great i mean i love baseball and i love breaking myself down but um uh you got to keep yourself a little bit flexible in the off season but i am working on a couple of cool projects one um sort of commemorating Bob Buecher's 50 years with the Brewers, and so that's been pretty cool to work on, and been something sort of long-term, too, so hopefully by the end of the year it comes out. Um, so that's something that's keeping me occupied while I sort of hope, await, and anticipate some moves uh, by the Brewers at, at least at some point this month. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, great stuff as always. Thank you for taking the time, and hopefully we can uh, do this again before the end of the offseason. Oh, yeah, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, Sam, and joining us here on Brewers X Earnings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Certainly appreciate him taking a little bit of time with us. Do encourage you to uh, check out Brewers Weekly. That airs Thursday nights on WTMJ Radio. We run from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So I hope that you can uh, join us for uh, that show on Thursday nights on uh, WTMJ. Another hour's worth of uh, Brewers talk each week. You get this podcast. Brewers X Journeys, the podcast. You get Brewers Weekly, and uh, that's uh, there's lots of great other Brewers podcasts out there. But as far as uh, what I bring to you each week, that's it. Those are our two hours of uh, Brewers talk on a weekly basis. All right, thanks so much for being tuned in. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers X Journeys, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.